Morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody awake? Were you on time today? I wasn't. I was having, boy, I was having a rough morning. I was trying to print things, and, and you'll notice the, the handout today. I had, to, I had to print it from home because I was rushing, and I was trying to print things. And I got in the car, and I turned on the car, and I backed out of the driveway, and I realized I forgot to print the sermon. So I drove back in, and I went back in the house and printed off the sermon, and oh, man, it was one of those mornings. You ever had one of those mornings before? I know you have. It's one of those mornings for me. But thankfully, Doug and the band, man, Worship today was amazing, and I just it, that just settled me in right then and there. So thank you for that, and just just to come here and just to close my eyes and sit there and sing to God, that's what it's all about. Amen. So it's good to be here. Are you are you glad to be here? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. All right, all right. Hey, let's pray together. All right, let's ask God to bless this time of teaching. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you even when it's busy and when we're late. And when we're scattered, because Lord, it's in those moments that you usually just want to quiet our hearts, calm us down, and minister to us. Lord, I thank you for ministering to me, though I was so scattered just a few moments ago. And now, Lord, we pray for a real communion with you in your word. I pray that You would really give us clarity now and not a scattered heart, but clarity of mind and eyes to see exactly what You have for us today. Bless our time in Your Word, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. It was this book that Martin Luther, the great reformer, opened to and realized that all he had been taught in the past was was fatally flawed. Martin Luther opened to the book of Romans, and it was in Romans that his eyes were opened to so many truths in the Christian faith that he had not learned prior. And among the many truths that Martin Luther was awakened to was the concept of Christian liberty. The idea that there are many, many things in this life with, for which we are free to do however God calls us to live. We're free to eat whatever God gives us a heart to eat. We're free to drink whatever God gives us a heart to drink. We're free to do certain things without a heart of conviction. And these things are called Christian liberties. And we've been talking about them this last week. Martin Luther, though, had one quote that put a great caveat on those Christian liberties. And I wanted to share that quote with you today. Take a look at what he said. He said, a Christian is a most free Lord of all, subject to none. And immediately after he said, a Christian is a most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Boom, boom. One right after the other. In his treatise on Christian liberty, beautiful, beautiful uh, 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 document that you can read online. 
It's really some of his commentary and his thoughts on Romans 14 and 15. And this was, this was it for him. He demonstrated that in, in Romans 14 and 15, Paul is saying, you are free. You are free to live in the way Christ would have you live. And yet in that freedom, you are totally, utterly to be subject to one another. I believe Martin Luther captured the essence of Romans 14 and 15 and many other texts in the Scriptures which speak of Christian liberty. And thus the title of my message today, we're in part two of a series entitled, I Am My Brother's Keeper, Part Two, Totally Free, Voluntarily Subject. Totally free, yet voluntarily subject. We're going to be in Romans chapter 14, and I ask that you stand with me as I read verses 14 to 23. Romans 14, verse 14 to 23. Paul writes this, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, You are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Verse 21, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself. Before God. Happy is the man who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. You may be seated. Verse 14 again, Paul writes, I know, I know, and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Now, we need to understand, as we so often say, the historical context of what Paul's words are speaking about. You see, in the church in Rome, Paul's writing a letter to the church in Rome, and in the church in Rome, we've come to learn that there were, among the house churches in Rome, there were a variety of people in those house churches. There were Jewish Christians, and there were Gentile Christians. And so you had this group of people in these churches. And it was likely that some of the Jewish Christians who had become new followers of Jesus Christ who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, these Jewish Christians, they had taken with them some 1,500 years of the Mosaic Law into their experience of worship and following God. And so it was hard for them to break away from that 1,500-year-old law code. 
it was hard for them to realize that, that, that though the Mosaic Law said certain foods, foods were prohibited, the New Covenant said all foods were clean. Though the Old Covenant said certain foods need to be prepared a certain way, in the New Covenant, it was open and free. Another thing that was troubling in the churches was the fact that there were a lot of uh, pagan religious authorities and and, uh, really pagan religious uh, prophets and priests in and around the city of Rome who would literally take meat, sacrifice it on a pagan altar, and then take the rest of the meat and go to the butcher and give it to him to be sold, or, or to sell it to him to be sold in the meat market. And some Christians, as they went from store to store, they would note, well, this, this butcher I know takes meat from pagan religious officials, whereas this butcher does not. And so they'd go buy their meat from certain stores, certain markets, and not others. There was a concern among first century Christians, not all, but some, there was a concern of uncleanliness in food. Both foods that were prohibited, foods that were prepared wrong, foods that were sold uh, to the butcher that were used for pagan religious ceremonies. And there was contention and there was fighting among Christians. What should we eat? Which type of meat? Should we eat that kind of meat? Should we shop at that store? Paul is entering into the midst of that kind of conversation. Of course, Jesus ultimately came to make what was unclean clean. He did so in some of the greatest respects, making unclean sinners clean and unclean, infirmed, and sick people clean again. But Jesus also did so in the smallest respects when He declared that the old covenant food laws were no longer binding in Mark chapter 7. And so Paul is taking what Jesus has done in the, new, in, the, in the Gospels and he's taking that teaching and he's bringing it and setting it right in front of the Roman Christians and saying, look at this. Look at this teaching. Look at what Jesus has said. Paul says, I know and am convinced by the Lord that there is nothing unclean of itself. No food is unclean. Later on, he's going to add that no drink is unclean. The Christian is at liberty to eat and drink whatever he wishes. For God has given him this freedom as a gift. But there are a few exceptions. And the first exception is found at the end of verse 14. He says, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. That's quite a statement, if you think about it. On your outline here, just just a a little point to make note of here. Take a look at this. Go ahead and bring it up. With respect to Christian liberties, do whatever you wish unless, here's one caveat, unless you consider what you are doing to be wrong. Do Whatever it is, with respect to Christian liberties, with respect to things, the gray areas of life, you know, the, the eating, the drinking, which movies, which music, uh, tattoos, and, and what, all of these things that we have some disagreements about. Sure, good Christian men and women disagree on some of these things. But we can all kind of understand that these are within the bounds of Christian liberty. Paul says, do whatever it is within the bounds of Christian liberty, do whatever you wish, unless... Here's one, pro, one caveat. Unless you consider 
what you are doing is wrong. Why would that happen, you ask? Well, there could be a great many reasons why you think something's wrong. We know that uh, drunkenness is prohibited in Scripture, but drinking alcohol is not. Nevertheless, for someone who grew up in a family with an alcoholic father or an alcoholic mother, it makes sense to me that that person would have, uh, would likely consider alcohol to be evil and wicked and wrong for them. That makes sense to me. Uh, for someone who uh, watched a friend or relative die a very painful death of lung cancer, it would make sense to me that they would have a revulsion to smoking. That makes sense to me. And I think it should make sense to you. For them, it's just it's wrong and it's evil because they've seen what it has done to maybe a friend or a family member. And so Paul is saying, look, you have liberty, you have freedom, but if you consider it wrong, it is wrong for you. Notice that Paul doesn't question the reason a person might consider something to be unclean. He simply states, if you think it's wrong, then it is wrong. And not only is it wrong for that person who thinks it's wrong, but it's also wrong, get this, for you and me to do it in their presence. Take a look at verse 15 of chapter 14. Verse 15, Paul writes, Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food or drink, or insert whatever you want, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Like any good thing, humans can take what is good and abuse it. We can take what is good and totally and utterly abuse it, trash it. We've seen this on a very, very extreme level in our own country in the last number of weeks and months. Some of you may know what I, what I speak of. We've seen this uh, with a group called the Westboro Baptist Church. And uh, the people on the left are from a church that uh, has an unbelievably uh, wicked and, and false perception of the God of the Bible. Now these are people who proclaim and profess to be Christians and yet they go as they did uh, to um, the funeral of Matthew Snyder, a, a, a young man who died uh, while in the field of battle and they go and they protest and scream and yell and shout. They have freedom of speech. Yep. In fact, our, our U.S. Supreme Court uh, voted uh, eight to one. They have the right to protest in the way that they do. Uh, and for the father, for uh, I believe it's uh, Albert, Albert Snyder, uh, for the father, you know that that's a that's a, a heartbreaking uh, a defeat for him. They do have that right. They have the right to say those things and to hold those signs and to cast those slurs at people whom they don't even know. They have that right. They have that freedom. But they're abusing it. 
They are taking the liberties afforded to them by the young man who died and they are throwing it to the ground and causing shame to the name of Christ, the Christians around the world. These people are, are ashamed. And uh, it, 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 to take liberty and to abuse it in that way, this, here's an extreme example of that. Okay, now, now take that extreme example and look at our text again. Okay, in our text here in Romans, what is Paul saying? He's saying, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Guess what? You can eat whatever you want. Guess what? You can drink whatever you want to drink. There's no prohibition on alcohol in Scripture. Not one. There's prohibition on drunkenness. Drink what you want. Christian liberty. But, if you abuse that liberty, if you abuse that privilege, you will cause irreparable harm to brothers and sisters in Christ. If you blunder through life, relishing and enjoying your freedoms, and do not consider your brother or sister's feelings, you will do great harm to others and to the church. If you flaunt your liberties in the face of another, you are not walking in love. Instead, Paul says, you are grieving your brother. Lupeo in Greek. It means to cause pain, injure, cause sadness, sorrow, or distress. And so this is a second caveat. This is the second caveat or exception to Christian liberty. The first was this. With respect to Christian liberties, do whatever you wish unless you consider what you are doing to be wrong. And the second is this. Unless your actions may cause grief or stumbling to a fellow brother or sister in Christ. So write that down. Unless your actions may cause grief or stumbling to a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Paul uses the word in verse 15. He says, Do not destroy. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. The word destroy there is the Greek word apolumai. It's a, uh, it's a strong word. Very strong word. Of course, the context makes clear that, that Paul is not really referring to uh, some kind of eternal destruction or condemnation. And uh, quite frankly, it's beyond comprehension to me how, how some prominent Bible scholars come to that point, believe it or not. Some of, the, some of those that I've cited uh, prior in my messages in Romans actually said, yes, it means they might go to hell. No, that's, that's precisely not what Paul's talking about. To be sure, apolumai can mean eternal destruction, but it certainly does not always mean that. It can also mean to kill, to lose, to pass away, or, in this case, to ruin. To ruin. To bring to spiritual ruin. Jesus used the word with reference to ruin in the Gospels. Notice what Jesus said. He said, no one puts new wine, skins into old wine, new, new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. Spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. Apolumai. Same Greek word. And so here we see 
an instance, an understanding of the context here of where Paul's driving at this. He's not speaking about eternal damnation or condemnation. That that would fly directly in the face of the context of the passage. Instead, he's, he's saying, look, if you eat or if you drink something in the presence of someone who's offended by it, guess what? You're going to ruin them. We'll talk in a moment about what that ruin might look like. Don't ruin a brother. You are your brother's keeper. Don't take good Christian liberties and freedoms and let others speak of them as evil. Paul says, Jesus died for them. How much more should you show restraint? Doug Moo writes this. He says, if Christ has already paid the supreme price for the weak Christian, how can the strong refuse to pay the quite insignificant price of a minor and occasional restriction in their diet? We have better things to be doing than to flaunt our freedoms. We have better things to be doing than to hold on and cling to and preserve with every last breath our liberties. Paul says there's better things to be pursuing. Namely, the kingdom of God. Take a look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God, Paul writes, is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. First and only reference to the kingdom of God in Romans. Did you know that? Uh, we, we were in the Gospel of Matthew a few years ago and we were dealing with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. It was happening over and over again. And it's always on the lips of Christ. It's actually rarely on the lips of Paul. Uh, this is the only instance of it in the whole, book, uh, whole letter to the, to the church in Rome. But nevertheless, Paul uses this opportunity to say, look, you've got better things to think about. We have better things to think about. Namely, the kingdom of God bringing to bear, bringing to light the kingdom of God on earth. He says you need to be concerned about righteousness, about peace, about joy, about having good ethical behavior toward one another. Righteousness, peace, having harmonious relationships with one another. Joy, having gladness with others. Not food. Not what you drink. Are you kidding, Paul says. Don't let food destroy or ruin your brother. Think about the kingdom first. Think about your relationship with others. And he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. The word acceptable to God there, that goes all the way back to Romans chapter 12. Verse 2, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove that which is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Paul's going straight back to Romans 12 too, and saying that's what's acceptable. The will of God in Romans 12 too is not something that we don't know what it is and so we've got to really you know, think about it and wonder what it is. No, Paul's saying you know what it is. Prove what it is. By how you act. Prove what God's will is. It is God's will 
that you bring about righteousness, peace, and joy. Not pursue eating and drinking and tear down a brother. It's God's will that you pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. And if you do that, you'll be acceptable before God and approved, dokimos, before men. Men will look at you and and women will look at you and say, wow, what restraint. I I shared the story last week of of the time where I was on a a little vacation and a, a man came up to me and said, Neil, would you mind if I drank alcohol? On this, on this time together. And I looked at him and I said, no, it doesn't bother me at all. You know, I, I, just hearing that one question to me, raised in me, raised my respect for that man. It raised my trust in him. It raised my confidence in him. I looked at him and I thought, wow, if he has the courage and the carefulness to wonder if I might be offended by alcohol, then that's a man I want to befriend. That's a man I want to be with when push comes to shove. That's a man I want around me, keeping me accountable, making sure I'm not offending another brother or sister in Christ. It raised my view of him. Dakimas. It approved. It, It caused me to approve of him. Much more so than I would someone who just opened up all their beers and started drinking right in front of me. wouldn't have bothered me because I don't have a problem with alcohol. But I would have thought differently of that experience than someone who was to come to me and say, hey, would you mind? Would this offend you? Would you mind if I did this? I want to share with you one of my all-time, all-time favorite quotes. It's by Mark Twain. It is by the goodness of God that in our country three unspeakable precious things. Freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, and the prudence never to practice either of them. That's beautiful. I mean, that's beautiful. That's, uh, that's very close to a life motto for me. The prudence never to practice my freedom of speech. The prudence never to practice my freedom of conscience. Some might look at that and think, how enslaving that is. I want to express myself. I want to just spout off whatever I want to spout off. I want to drink whatever I want to drink. I want to eat whatever I want to eat. I want to do whatever I'm going to do and you can deal with it. Do you know people like that? Are you like that? I don't think that's the kind of man or woman that Paul is speaking of in Romans 14. He's speaking of a quite different person. A person who's very careful with how they act toward others. Verse 20. Paul writes again, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. You say, I've heard this before. Yeah, that's right. Actually, Paul's doing what's called, uh, in literary form, it's called chiastic structure. He's taking a point that he gave in verse uh, 15, and he brought it to a crescendo in verses 17 to 19, and he's bringing it back to verse 20 and saying the same point over again. 
Paul's repeating himself for emphasis. He's saying, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Do not destroy them. This time Paul uses a different word for destroy. A a word of lesser force, really. It's the Greek word kataluo. It means to tear down or to do away with. Uh, Paul, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, said, If this earthly tent is kataluo, is destroyed... If this earthly tent, our earthly tent, is done away with, we still have an eternal home in heaven, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.1. And so this kind of destruction is very much a kind of destruction that a Christian can experience without going to hell, mind you. <laughs> Paul didn't say in 2 Corinthians 5.1, if this earthly tent is destroyed, I go to hell. He says, no, if this earthly tent is destroyed, I go with the Lord. And in the same way, Paul says here, he says, look, you can destroy the work of God by what you eat or drink. That doesn't mean your brother or sister is going to eternal condemnation. It means they're being brought to ruin. They're being torn down. You're crushing them. I wanted to ask for just a moment, what what, what it... What are some ways in which we could bring them to ruin? I mean, how does it ruin, really, how does it ruin them, right? If I have, if I have a glass of wine or if I have a beer and someone sees it and they, uh, they get offended, oh, you know what, big deal, right? How does it even ruin them? I want to know how. Well, I, I want to bring up that question. How might our exercise of Christian liberty destroy our brother or sister? Number one, on your outline. It will sadden and crush their spirit. That's the first thing it could do. I shared an example last week of the family that looked upon the, the person in Christian leadership and it just it crushed them when they saw that that person was drinking. They were personally offended by it and, and the only thing it did in them was it crushed their spirit. That's a real possibility. Number two, it can ruin their trust in you. It can ruin their trust in you. You can lose your testimony with people. You can lose it like that. I've lost it like that before. I've done things in which my testimony went from a a, a good and a a strong testimony with someone to nothing overnight, in an an instant. I'm sure you can relate. Maybe you've done that before. Thirdly, it can cause them to despise you. You can actually cause them to start hating you. And you don't want to do that in another person. You want to be above that. You want to give them no, no reason to speak evil of you. But yet, if you're doing something that offends them, then it's going to engender in them uh, some evil thoughts. Number four, it can pressure them to try what you're doing, thus violating their conscience. Remember, Paul said, hey, if, if, you, if you consider it impure and you do it, not a good, not a good idea. If it's, if it's unclean for you in your conscience, then it is unclean, Paul says. And if you're out there doing whatever it is you do, and that person has a conscience about it, but then they look at it, well, he's doing it, so maybe I can. And then they go on to, to take that drink, having a guilty conscience all the while. It's not a good place for them to be. And fifth and finally, you can influence them to continue in sin, thus blatantly soliciting their own judgment before God. I know the outline kind of cut it off there, so... Fill in the the why of blatantly there. 
had a, had a printer error. You can influence them to continue in sin, thus blatantly soliciting their own judgment before God, either in this life or in the life to come. And again, I'm not speaking here of eternal condemnation. I'm speaking of the fact that if they persist in violating their conscience because you had a drink, then you have been complicit in sending them into habitual sin. I think God takes that seriously. All things are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense, with a guilty conscience. In light of these possibilities of ruin, Paul has some final words of advice for us. Verse 21. He writes, It is good neither to eat meat, nor to drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Blaise Pascal once said, All the troubles of man come from his not knowing how to sit still. And in the same vein, Paul looks out at you and me and says, in no uncertain terms, he says, sit still. Don't do anything that would cause a brother to stumble. Sit still. Don't do anything that would offend a weaker sister in Christ. Sit still. He says elsewhere in Corinthians, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Never again. That's even going further. I mean, we've been talking about in their presence, in their presence, in their presence. How about somebody who comes up to you and says, you know, just the knowledge of you doing that causes me to... uh, to just think ill of you. I had a situation like that recently, actually. I had a situation in which um, I, was, I was going to do something, uh, and something that, to, in my mind, was just totally harmless, totally innocent. Uh, it was an activity that I was doing, which in my mind was not even remotely on the scale of right and wrong. It was perfectly fine. And yet, I had a Christian brother come up to me and say, you know what, if you go do that, I will be offended. This happened, this happened nine, nine months ago. If, he said, if you go do that, I will be offended. And I'll tell you, everything in me just you know, wanted to say, eh, he won't know, right? He won't know. I'll just go, because he's not going anyway. So I'll just go, and I'll just do it. I'll be quiet about it. Uh, And he won't know, right? No problem. Paul says, I will never again do it, if that's what it takes. Uh, I made the decision to not participate on that event, on that activity. And uh, when I told that to him later on, Weeks later, uh, a couple weeks later, when I, when I sat across the table from him and said, hey, you know what, I, I actually didn't do that, he started to tear up in gratefulness. He started to tear up, grown man, 
started to get weepy with tears of gratefulness that I had shown his conscience that much respect. And I know for some of you, that's like, that's crazy. That's a crazy story. And for me, it was too. But I'll tell you, the response of him to me was, uh, was worth it. I could see right then and there that I had preserved a brother in Christ. I had not ruined him. I had preserved him. I thank God for that because I, I know there have been many times where I said, eh, I'm not going to worry about them. But this was one moment in my life where the Lord helped me to be a bigger man and to show respect for another. Do you have faith, Paul says? Do you have convictions of liberty that are born out of your freedom in Christ? Good, Paul says. Keep it to yourself. The word faith here is used in a very unique way. It really means conviction. F.F. Bruce writes, Faith, in this sense, is a firm and intelligent conviction before God that that one is doing what is right. And Paul's saying, look, if you have these convictions, that's great. If you have the conviction that you can go out and drink, wonderful. If you have the conviction that you can go out and listen to that music and it doesn't prick your soul and it's good for you, great, Paul says. But guess what? Keep it to yourself. He says, show a lot of restraint. Don't brag about it. Don't flaunt it. Show respect. Show restraint. If Jesus died for them, is it that hard for you to forego that liberty? If Jesus died for them, is it that hard for you to forego speaking openly about your weekend in Las Vegas or wherever it is you go? I think, too, of, uh, of social media. Just to, uh, um, Boy, I tell you, Facebook, blogging, I mean, what are you posting online, right? Uh, it's so easy to just write that little status update or write that tweet or, or put that blog up online and boom, you publish it and you're like, yeah, I express myself. Woo! Expressing. Marianne, are you on Facebook? No? Come on, Marianne. I would really like to read your status updates, actually. That's why you're not going to do it? All right. All right. Hey, I'm on, I'm on Facebook. You're, you know, many of you are on Facebook. The majority of you are probably on Facebook. Listen, the bottom line is you have, you have, we have no idea, none. You have no idea who is reading what you've written and is offended by it. And, and so you might, your, your response might be, well, you know what, what am I going to be handcuffed all the time with whatever I do? I can't say anything. I can't express anything. I can't write anything. You know what? My response is, would you like to bring up brothers and sisters in Christ or tear them down? If your answer is, I want to bring them up, I want to build them up, I want to edify them, then watch every word. Don't write about the things that will cause another to stumble. And you know what might. Don't speak about those things. Go back and delete it. Because you have no idea who read that and who saw that and went, are you kidding? They did that? 
They said that. They went there. There's one message worth proclaiming. There's one message worth offending. There's one message that you can put, a, you can put this stumbling block every time at the foot of another. And that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Other than that, there is no message. There is no status update. There is no post that is worth potentially causing another brother or sister to fall. If you are to offend, let it be with the cross of Christ and not a flippant comment on your blog or on your Facebook account. Keep it quiet, Paul says. Show restraint. And as you do, he says, you will be blessed. Happy, verse 22, happy, blessed is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Another version puts it, happy is the person who does not feel guilty when he does something he judges is right. Christian liberty is a good thing. It's a great thing, actually. It is good to express ourselves freely. It is good to eat what we want. I like McDonald's. I know it's terrible for me, but it's good to eat what I want. It's good to drink what you want. It's good to listen to the music that uplifts your soul. It's good to watch the movies that you and your spouse sit on the couch and you rejoice over whatever movie it is that you like to watch. Those things are good and you're free in Christ to do many, many things. But be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of who might be offended. If you flaunt your liberty, you might destroy a brother. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. As one theologian put it, an action performed against the the voice of conscience can never be right. I began with the quote by Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, A Christian is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. And a Christian is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. I suspect, there are many passages in which he he may have been inspired to write these words, but I suspect it was this one in 1 Corinthians. Take a look. Corinthians 9. For though I am free, Paul writes, from all men, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I become as a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To the weak, I become as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Close with the words of the psalmist from last week. Psalm 69, verse 6. Let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel. Friends, our life is not our own. We are our brother's keeper. 
You are totally free. And yet, Paul would have you be voluntarily subject. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time. I thank You, Lord, for just this wonderful, wonderful truth in Your Word. You know, Lord, how much I love this passage. You know how much I, uh, I wish that we would all live by it. God, I pray that we would show such carefulness with others. That we would never do anything to offend another, save putting the cross of Christ in front of others. Lord, we we don't want to be a reason why Christians fall. We want to be a reason why they are built up and why they are strengthened. So Lord, help us to live in such a way that would build each other up and not apolumai, not ruin, not kataluo, not tear down. Help us to build up, Lord, to strengthen those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.